Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Before the kids go, I'd like to have you guys, the kids, come down here for a second. Come on up. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Yes? I seemed a little hesitant. Did you have a good Christmas? Sort of, maybe. Did you get, how many of you got a present that you were expecting to get that was super exciting? Okay. How many of you got a present that you weren't expecting to get that was even cooler? Okay. Why, here's a question for you. Why do you guys get presents? Why do people give you presents at Christmas time? I know, because God gave us the best present and we celebrate that by giving each other presents. Because God gave us the best present and we celebrate that by giving each other presents. That's a perfect answer. And why do we give presents? Do we, do we do it because someone has been good or they've been bad and we don't give them presents? That show that we're glad for them. We should give them presents to show that we love each other, right? And why did God give us the best present? What what, what was the best present? You, Jesus. Jesus, of course. And why did God give us that present? Is it because we've been good? Somebody else. <laughs> to save us from our sins, and because He what? People give us presents because they love us. God gave us his present. Why? Because he loved us. You guys are so smart. Go on to your class and have a great day. Hey, Sam, take that. I don't want that. It's good to remind our kids when we give presents, it's good to remind them that it's out of our love for them, right? That it's not because they've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake, but it's because of our generosity and our grace and our love for them that we give presents. And because that helps them to understand and remember that it's because of God's love and generosity that he gave us his gift. That his love for us is not conditional, but it's simply because of his goodness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. Our theme today for Christmas is light. And we want to work from this metaphor, this this idea of God's light this morning. We're going to take a look at a couple passages, this one here in Genesis, that I want you to hold on to two specific ideas here in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates. If you're looking at it, you'll notice two things. When God says, God says, let there be light, two things it says in verse 4. 
God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. I want you to hold those two ideas in your head as we turn to Isaiah chapter 6. As you're turning there, this morning I want to invite you to use your imagination a little bit to hold on to this metaphor of light and darkness that that we're we're exploring this morning and and to to just to hang around it so that because this idea of light is so prevalent this time of year in our christmas lights right we light candles we have our christmas lights up on our tree in our homes we see more lights around us but it's also prevalent because this is the time of year where it's the darkest is it not especially this last week today's a beautiful sunny day but this last week has been so dark hasn't it with the rain and the storms and the wind, even even on in the middle of the day, it seemed just miserable and dark out. Just a week ago, we celebrated, or we we had the winter solstice was the the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the year. And so this is a time of year where things are dark, and we are lighting up our world with lights. And so I want to hang on to this metaphor as, as we continue to work through it. Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to look at this passage, and we're just I just want to reference it here. We'll come back to it in a second, but I want you to have this picture in your mind as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is a prophet that's living during the time of the around 700, seven, late 700 B.C., early 700 B.C., and he's making this prophecy to the northern kingdom's of Israel. There's this Assyrian army that's getting ready to attack the Israelites. And Isaiah is making these prophecies and, and he has this vision that he talks about here in Isaiah chapter 6. And that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. If you have the King James translation, if you remember the King James translation, woe is me, I am undone, is the language that is used there. So when you have these two ideas, Genesis chapter 1, God creates light, and then Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah's vision of the presence of God, as you turn with me to John chapter 1. And we're going to rest in John chapter 1 for a while this morning. As you turn there, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we gather this morning and are celebrating your light coming into our lives, we're celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating your goodness, we're celebrating your love that you bestowed generously upon us, not because of anything that we had done, but because of your love for us. We ask that as we open your word together, that as we explore these ideas, that as we allow our hearts to wonder at the work 
of your Son, Jesus Christ, and allow ourselves to be impacted by that, that work. We ask that you guide us, that you open us up to new truths, that you soften our hearts to the ways in which you want to challenge us in our own lives and the ways that you want to send us forth to continue to carry your light into the world. We pray this in your name. Amen. John, chapter 1. This is a long section here, but I want to read the whole thing because it's so good. In the beginning was the Word. Sounds a little familiar to Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. John here is talking about Jesus. When he says the Word, he's talking about Jesus. He'll make that explicit a little bit later on. But for those of you that aren't aware of that, that's, that's what he's talking about. So in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is a long passage where John is introducing who Jesus was and the work that Jesus had done. And he uses this metaphor, and he comes back to it several times, this idea that we're talking about this morning, that in the beginning was the Word, and in this Word was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Another way we could say this is that that light was the life of all mankind. That the light that God, working with the metaphor that, that we're holding this morning, that the light that God brings into the world is a life-giving Light. It's, it's the thing that bring, it's, it's this metaphor that he's using, this, this thing that brought life into our, into our world is the light that is separated from the darkness of our lives. Paul in Romans makes this a little bit more clear. So I invite you to turn, keep your finger in John because we're going to come back there. But I want to take a look at a couple, a couple letters of Paul where Paul 
John loves to use metaphors. And so he talks a lot with these, with these metaphors. And Paul likes to use metaphors too, but he also likes to be a little bit more direct. And he's a little bit more friendly to our, I would say, our Western mindset of, of understanding things. So I'm going to take a look at a couple passages here in Romans and one in Ephesians where, where Paul makes a little bit more clear what John is alluding to with his metaphors. So first of all, John chapter, or Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And we're going to reread that verse and we're going to insert our metaphor that John is using to help us understand and get a picture of what Paul is saying here and and how this relates to what John is saying and how they're connecting. Let's, let's read it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the light that gives life has set you free from the law of darkness. For what the dark the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the darkness, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of darkness to be a light offering. And so he condemned the darkness in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the darkness, but live according to the light. Are you tracking with this metaphor here? That what God has done in Christ, that the, that the darkness that had taken up residence within us, through the work of Christ's life and death and resurrection, this is what John is saying in, in John chapter 1, that the work that he brought, brought light into our world. It drives out the darkness of our lives. It shines upon the darkness, the sin in our lives, and it casts it out. That through the work of Christ, his life, his death and resurrection, sin is dealt with. The darkness of our lives are dealt with. Turn, turn back a page to Romans chapter 6. Paul says this, he uses this, uh, his, this language again in Romans chapter 6 verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, or we could say, count yourselves dead to darkness, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin, do not let darkness reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. In Romans 8, Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the darkness has been driven out of our lives because of the work of Christ. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul also understands 
that there's a work that we still have to do to not submit ourselves to the darkness that still is ongoing in our lives. And so he says, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to this darkness, but with a recognition that we might still, even though Christ, in God's eyes, Christ has done away with the darkness of our lives. He's done away with the sin of our lives that still we participate and choose to... We, we have been so overwhelmed by the darkness and inhabited by the darkness that we still can choose to live as though the darkness was reigning in us. And we still submit to us. To still submit to it. One more passage, Ephesians chapter 5, and then we'll go back to John. And Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 5. Paul picks up here, Paul picks up John's metaphor himself. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So Paul picks up this metaphor that John has used, and he says, You were once darkness, but now you are light. But there's also a recognition that even as people who have been declared light by God, by God, that our sins have been forgiven, that we still can participate in a sinful way of life. And so he says, you were once darkness, but live as children of the light. With an understanding, this instruction is, you might not sometimes. How many of you would agree that we might not live as children of the light? About half of you. Okay. Well, the rest of you, let's listen in. Yeah, we don't always get it right. And the work of Jesus Christ, if you go back to John, the work that the Word of Life is bringing into the world is a work that is meant to shine a light onto the darkness, to expose it. If you think of your own life, and you think of the darkness that you are aware of in your own life, and the choices that you make, in the addictions that you might have, in the habits that you've picked up and hung on to, in the small, in, in just the things that it's not really harming anybody but you know that it doesn't belong to the light. And the work that God is doing is the work of exposing even that darkness within us. That the work that God has done from the beginning of creation is a work to separate the light from the darkness. And that any darkness that still remains in our lives doesn't have a place in what God is doing in us. 
And God is working to continually separate that light from darkness in us. And I don't know about you, but when I pause to think about what it might mean for the darkness of my own life, the sins that I know that I wrestle with and struggle with, it's a little bit of a terrifying thing to think that God might be about the work of exposing that darkness. It's a little scary to imagine what it might mean to be found out of our sins, isn't it? But one of the things that we've been talking about as we have prepared ourselves for Christmas, our second theme of Advent this year has been fear. We're afraid that we will be fully known by God, that we'll be fully exposed by God. And we see this so much in the Christmas story, right? What happens when God shows up, when the angels appear to people? What's the response? Fear, right? They're terrified. The angels to the shepherds are terrified. And yet, what is God's response every time we're afraid in His presence? Do not be afraid. The work that God is doing is not meant to be terrifying. And yet it is, right? Our response is fear. But look what John says in in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. This is, this is like a compound word. This, uh, your translation might say something like, we have all received grace upon grace or grace on top of grace, that the work that God is doing is piling up grace upon grace, that the law came through Moses. And this is what Paul was talking about in Romans, that this law was the thing that was condemning us. The law was the thing that was making us feel afraid. But what Christ came is He came to free us from all of that, free us from all obligations that we somehow have to be good enough in order to be worthy of being exposed to God's light. It says, instead of the law, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And grace is there, but it's also truth. The truth that says, these things in our lives don't belong. And God is not content with you or I simply living in the midst of the darkness after He has already redeemed us from that. He wants us to be separating, He wants to be separating that darkness from the light in us. He wants us to no longer be hanging on to those habits, to those addictions, to, to that pride, to that greed, to that hatred. He wants to free us from those things so that we may be fully reflecting the light that He is shining in our lives. He's separating that light from darkness. And yes, it's a terrifying thing. Like Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when we think that we might be exposed to the light of God, our response is terror. Woe to me. I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm lost. But look at what John says again and again here in this first chapter. 
Verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. See, we are afraid that working with God to expose the darkness in our lives will destroy us. That God's holiness and our sinfulness are so incompatible that if we somehow expose ourselves to the work of God in our lives, that somehow it will destroy us. But what John says, what Paul says, over and over and over again, is that the light of God does not destroy us. The light of God drives out the darkness, and what we find on the other end of it is life. We are not undone, but we are made more fully the person God has created us to be. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul also said this. We'll end here in Ephesians. It says in verse, verse 11, He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes the light. What's interesting here is in John, when John talks about the other John, when John is talking about the man who came from God, whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. And he says, very specifically, he says, he was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. But when Jesus comes into the world, he says of himself, I am the light of the world. But then he also says, you are the light of the world. That as God has been working in us to bring life and to bring light out of the darkness, that we too become the light. And Paul says that here too. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So there's a work that God has already done in us and is continually doing in us to deal with the sin that we hang on to and that we don't want to get rid of or we don't know how to get rid of. And God is working to expose that light. But there's also an invitation. There's an invitation that as we have been made light in the Lord, that we now are participating in exposing the darkness in our world that we now become bearers of that light into the dark places of our world. This task that we have been invited to can look like all kinds of different things. On the big scale, it's taking a look at everything that doesn't belong to God's good world. 
Everything that we would not say is light in God's world. And if it's not light, it's darkness. And we say if it's darkness, our task as the church is to be people who shine a light into that darkness and do something about it. That comes in all kinds of small and big ways. It comes in just choosing to see somebody at your school who's lonely and and try to be their friend. It comes in seeing that there are people without food in our neighborhoods. There are kids in schools that go home on the weekends and don't have food and helping provide lunches and meals for those people on the weekends. It's from hearing that there are more people in slavery today than at any point in the world, in the history of the world. And that the cost of a slave today is cheaper than has ever been. And saying, that's not right. I don't know what I can do about it, but I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to learn more about it. It's seeing people who are being forced out of their homes due to violence and and conflict that they didn't start. And learning, how can I help? It's in your... It's choosing in your marriage when things get difficult to keep fighting for one another. And it's not something that we just flip on a switch to turn that light on. It requires a commitment. It says maybe maybe it's time we invest in a counselor and we see somebody to work on this together because what we're doing right now isn't bringing about healing. It's choosing to take small, little actions to bring love and compassion and the grace of God into our relationships, into our families, into our workplaces. It's when people are talking about that coworker that nobody really gets along with to say, hey, maybe, maybe we shouldn't talk about that person. Maybe instead we should figure out what's going on in our lives and reach out to them. There's all kinds of little ways that we can do this. And it's fitting that we talk about this here at the end of the year. Because this is the time at the end of the year when we make resolutions, right? We think about how do we want to be different? How do we want to be more the people we want to be in the coming year? And I want us to raise the question is how do we be the people that God wants us to be in the coming year? What does it look like to allow Him to expose the darkness in our own lives? The anger that we've been harboring against a family member and and to do something about it. The the bitterness that has been hanging on there and, and to address it and to let it go and to forgive. This is a time in our calendars, it's a time in our church calendar. We've just finished Advent. We're celebrating this first Sunday after Christmas. The waiting for Christmas is over and it's finally here and it's a time for celebration and joy that the light has come into our lives. And we now get to be people who have been exposed to the light and get to carry it into our world. This is not an obligation. Oh, we have to do this. 
This is good news, is it not? The work that God has done in our own lives is good news. And the work that God wants to do through us is good news for our world. This is, as Pastor Jim reminds us, this is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It's a new week. It's a new beginning. We have a new year coming. And it's a time for us to commit once again to be people who are exposed to the light and who are bringing light to our world. One last passage. I know I said Ephesians was going to be it, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this. But Matthew chapter 16, one last place I want to take you. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples and he has this conversation with with them about who do people say that he is. And so in verse, we'll just pick up in verse 15. He says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? This is Matthew 16, verse 15. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. And there's a whole whole lot of theological stuff going on here that we don't have time to get in. But I just want to point out one thing to you. Jesus says, the gates on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The language that John used in John chapter 1 is the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But here, Jesus uses this picture of the gates of hell. And oftentimes, we think of this opposition, this, this, this spiritual conflict that exists between the light and darkness, as one in which the darkness is just seeking to overpower us and, and is on the attack. And we are on the defensive, doing everything we can to keep the darkness out. But what is the purpose of a gate? Is a gate an offensive weapon? Do you use, do you carry a gate into battle with you? No, right? It's defensive, right? The gate is meant to keep people out. And the, the language that Jesus uses here is that the gates of hell will not stand against the light that is coming forward. That the power of the light is far greater than anything that the darkness has to offer. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God is on the offensive, not the defense. We, as his church, are on the offensive. We are moving forward on the attack. And when we see darkness... We don't run from it. We have been people who have been exposed to the light and we carry light into the darkest places of our world because the light will overcome that darkness. Let's pray.
God, as we reflect on the end of the year and a new year dawning, and we have been reminded this morning of the work that you have done in our lives and are continually doing in our lives. We ask for the strength and the courage to allow you to continue to expose the darkness that we hang on to, that we want to hide. Bring it out into the light so that we may find greater life that you have to offer us. And as we do so, God, send us out with courage and strength to be people who are on the attack against the darkness of our world. From this corner here in Shoreline, may your light go out so brightly that the world and the darkness of our world is overwhelmed by it. Amen. This week, if you haven't already, you will be putting away your Christmas decorations. Well, maybe. Some of you may leave them up for another couple weeks. That's, that's your own thing. But as you do so, as you put away your lights, as you put away the candles, as you put away the, the things that remind you of this season that is drawn to a close, may you be reminded that the light of Christ does not get put in boxes. And he wants to continue to shine his light in your life. May you, as you make resolutions, whatever re- resolutions you may make this year, May you resolve to allow his light to work in your lives and allow his light to send you on the attack into our world so that the darkness may flee in terror. God be with you.